Good morning, church. You can open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. And as you are turning there, let me tell you a little bit about my week. And I want to share this because I want you to hear how our family of churches that we are a part of, known as Sovereign Grace, is becoming much more of a global denomination. So in my role in serving our family of churches, I was in Southern California, obviously suffering for the gospel there, (laughs) leading a global leadership development retreat, co-leading it actually with a number of men. I co-led that with Dave Taylor, who's our director of Emerging Nations, who traveled from Sydney, Australia. We had Jeffrey Joe from Manila, Philippines, Barnabas, I'm not going to use his last name for security reasons, from Nepal. Uh, Carlos Contreras was there from Juarez, Mexico. You've met Jose Lo Mercado. Uh, he is uh, from Puerto Rico here in the States, but travels extensively serving our denomination throughout Latin America. And then Ed O'Mara, who leads a Sovereign Grace Church in the Annapolis, Maryland area, is moving his family in July to Italy, where he hopes to plant a Sovereign Grace Church there in the next year or so. And then Diona Thomas from Monrovia, Liberia. He couldn't get a visa to get in the States, but he joined us most of the time via Zoom. And each of those men that I just mentioned are key strategic leaders that we need as a family of churches because of all the opportunities God is giving us throughout the world. I walked away with a couple of thoughts from the week First of all, their their faith to reach the lost with the gospel, what we heard even prophesied this morning, what we heard Kathy share, their faith to reach the lost with the gospel inspired me. They are planting churches in some difficult areas. Jeff Joe in Manila, he's planting churches south of there in Muslim areas, and he's seeing Muslims come to Christ. And there's a need for him to train elders as churches are established. Barnabas is planting some churches in different villages throughout Nepal in Hindu areas. He's encountering some some difficult challenges, but he's seeing Hindus come to Christ. And they are planting churches and joining those churches. Diona Thomas not only has planted churches in Liberia, but also in Guinea and Sierra Leone. So those men are examples to me, and I believe examples to us. They are also just godly men. I was just affected by their godliness, and Friday morning, I was taking a walk with the Lord, and I was just through tears thanking him for giving us those kind of men to our family of churches at this time as we respond to the global opportunities God is giving us. So that's a little bit about my week, and pray for those men, and pray for myself in this Sovereign Grace leadership team that Jared serves on as well. We, we need God's wisdom. 1 Peter 5, this text that we are going to look at today, it, it speaks to elders in local churches. And so as an elder in this local church, there are p- three people that I'm carrying in my heart as I step into the pulpit this morning. The first group is you the members of Covenant Fellowship Church. You are a joy to pastor, to use the language of the text, to shepherd and to lead. And I'm not the only pastor that feels that way. Every pastor here at Covenant Fellowship Church, we we feel that way about you. We thank God for you. 
and we love you. The second group I'm carrying on my heart are my fellow elders. As I've studied this passage, brothers, I've thought about you often because you embody what Peter exhorts us to be and do. And it is such a privilege to labor alongside of you men to serve this group of people. I thank God for you. And you know I I love you. The third group I'm carrying on my heart, I've been carrying this group on my heart for weeks, are the young men in this church who wonder if you may be called to pastoral ministry. And over the last several weeks, I have prayed for you. I've asked God to stir something in you and maybe even use this sermon to give you clarity regarding that potential call to pastoral ministry. The title of my sermon this morning is An Exhortation to Elders, and we're going to read the first five verses here in 1 Peter 5. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful game, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. May God bless the preaching of his word. Our family of churches, Sovereign Grace, has had a long-standing relationship with the Ark Church in Hamburg, Germany. They've had a pastor's college there for years where they have trained German, Russian, and Ukrainian pastors. Our own Jeff Perswell, who serves on the leadership team that I lead and is the dean of the United States Pastors College, he's made several trips and taught in that college for probably well over 15 years. A few years ago, the Ark Church sent a Ukrainian pastor by the name of Michael who went through their pastor's college and who Jeff knows well, they sent him to plant a church in a city in south-central Ukraine. No one knew at the time the vital role that Michael and that church is now playing in that nation as the war continues on. As Russia has bombed southern port cities and now eastern cities in Ukraine, those people are fleeing and trying to get west. Most of them are trying to get to Poland. And they're making their way through Michael's city where his church is planted. We're in regular contact with Michael, asking how we can support him and assessing his needs. And as a family of churches, so far we've been able to give him a little over $30,000 to help him from our Europe Development Fund. I want to give you a glimpse of what he's facing. He says they are daily receiving refugees who need food, clothing, and shelter. 
They've actually sort of reconfigured their church building and now have 90 beds set up in their church building. But he said they receive on most days 150 refugees. Michael reports that they have housed and fed well over 2,000 refugees to this point. They have refueled cars so they can get to the West. They have purchased hygiene products, diapers for babies, and medicine that people need. In recent weeks, they have comforted people who are there because they've lost their homes because they were bombed. And they've consoled people who've lost family members because of the war. They have faithfully shared the gospel just a couple of weeks ago. He said that there were two people there who had not heard of Christ before. They responded in faith and repentance, and he said, you know what, we're going to baptize you before you go on. So Michael baptized them before they headed west. And then he said this, Mark, I am literally working 24-7 to serve the refugees and to pastor the members of my church. See, that story is a modern-day example of the kind of suffering and pressures and trials that these churches were experiencing here in 1 Peter. We know that because Peter addresses suffering in chapter 2 and chapter 4. Bill preached so well from chapter 4 last week, and that that chapter ends with this verse. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So for a church to continue to do good, to continue to do good gospel work while facing trials, like the church in in the Ukraine, it needs elders, it needs pastors to shepherd and lead it like Michael is currently doing, which is why Peter begins chapter 5 with an exhortation to elders. Now you know this, this term elders refers to men who meet 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 qualifications who are called to lead the church of Jesus Christ. And the term in the New Testament is always used in the plural, meaning it's a plurality of elders. It's a team of elders who are called to lead and serve the church for which Christ shed his precious blood. In giving this exhortation, you probably notice he he actually gives a lengthy description of his self. He, he says that he is a fellow elder, meaning that he understands the weight of responsibility that elders carry and the fears and the challenges that they feel. Peter also says that he is a, a witness to the sufferings of Christ in keeping with the mood of this text. What that really means is those that are witnesses for the gospel, those that preach the gospel, they will be persecuted, as Bill pointed out last week. And then he says that he is a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, which is intended to offer hope to pastors who, like Michael, are working in difficult circumstances and know one day this is all going to end and all things are going to be made new at Jesus' return. See, Peter exhorts elders as a fellow elder to lead the church so that the church can continue the good work of gospel ministry even in the midst of pressures and suffering and trials. Now, this exhortation to pastors is important to those who are not pastors because it tells you the kind of elder that should be leading the church and it also instructs you for how you should respond to their leadership. 
That's why when we ordain an elder here at Covenant Fellowship, we, we ask for your input. We want to know if the members of this church see the man that we're about to ordain as truly an elder, as a pastor. In fact, we recently asked for your input regarding the ordination of Nick Kidwell, especially from those who are who are gonna be on the church planning team or those that are friends of Nick and know him well and can affirm his call. So if you could send us, actually by next Sunday, next Easter Sunday, any encouragements or concerns that you have, we, we hope to ordain Nick at the beginning of the summer. So let's look at this exhortation under four headings. The elder's responsibilities. Number two, the elder's manner. Number three, the elder's reward. And number four, the church's response. First heading, the elders' responsibilities. In his exhortation, Peter is very clear what elders are called to do. Look at verse two again. He exhorts them, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Elders are called to, to shepherd, to pastor the church, Christ has entrusted them with, and they're they're to provide oversight, which means they're to provide pastoral leadership. Now, Peter introduced these twin responsibilities. You might remember in chapter 2, verse 25, saying that Jesus Christ is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. In other words, elders are under shepherds of the chief shepherd, verse 4, And that point is emphasized when when Peter exhorts elders and he says to them, shepherd the flock of God. Doesn't say shepherd your flock, shepherd the flock of God. In other words, elders must be consistently mindful that the church is not their church. That the church is the flock of God, comprised of the people of God who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, who is the chief shepherd over the church. See, as your pastors, we have been given the responsibility to to shepherd, to pastor, and lead you from Jesus Christ. So in serving you, it it is him that we must ultimately please and glorify. Peter, when he wrote that, he was keenly aware of this truth. You might remember after his resurrection, we find Jesus in John 21, restoring Peter. And what does he say to Peter there? He he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? And you know this, Peter responded all three times by saying, yes, Lord, I love you. To which Jesus replied, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus is saying, Peter, if you love me, then shepherd, then pastor, then care for those whom, for whom I have shed my blood. See, an elder's love for Christ will stir love for the people of Christ and, want, and cause us to want to serve you like the chief shepherd. And these men love Christ. And these men, they love you. Now, elders are called to to tend to the people that Jesus has entrusted to their care. And the most effective way that we can do that is to know you, to know who we shepherd. Did you note the among you language there in the text? It's used twice, there in verse 1 and again in verse 2. 
Elders are not to be these mere professionals that have some distance from the church. Rather, we are to genuinely be involved in your lives. We are to be among you. We are to live among you. See, if we as pastors, if we don't truly know you and your challenges and your struggles and your joys and your, and your fears and your anxieties, then we can't effectively shepherd you and you will not trust us to do so. It was, a, it was a few years ago, we as a pastoral team, we dedicated several of our monthly pastor prayer meetings to praying through the members, membership list here at Covenant Fellowship. It, it was a wonderful thing to do. And it was wonderful for me to hear my, my fellow elders pray for you specifically by name and to pray specifically for needs that they were aware of. To hear Rob and Andy and Marty and Jared and Jim and JT and Leo and Bill and Joseph and Doug to pray for you so specifically. It told me that they are, they are among you. That they are genuinely involved in your lives. And that they are good shepherds. Shepherding also includes the, the regular preaching of God's word. As you know, it's not only intended to instruct you. We, we believe it's intended to feed your soul, to use Jesus' language from John 21. See, if we as elders preach sound doctrine, and then yet we don't know how to take that sound doctrine and apply it to the real issues that, we are face, that you are facing, then we're not going to be effective either preachers or shepherds. That's why shepherding is not just pulpit ministry. It is pulpit ministry, but it's pulpit and people ministry that's what it is and so when each of the guys when they preach on a Sunday morning they are prayerfully asking God this question as they prepare the sermon here's the question they're saying to God why this text on this Sunday for this particular group of people and in preaching sound doctrine our desire our role is to protect you as shepherds from false doctrine. What's, interested, what's interesting here, that the language that Peter uses in 1 Peter 5 to exhort elders is very similar to the language that Paul uses in Acts 20 when he exhorts the elders from Ephesus. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 and 29 and 31. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Therefore, therefore, elders, be alert. As elders, we must be alert for the wolves. We must be alert for those, for that teaching that would drag you away from the truth that is found in God's word. We've actually experienced that kind of pastoral leadership during this series in 1 Peter. Jared provided that for us when he preached a sermon in February from 1 Peter 3 verses 1 through 7. And there Jared skillfully exhorted us as a church to guard against the danger of drifting from God's good design for men and women in a culture that is confused not only about gender but about roles. 
And so, Jared, thank you for protecting us. Thank you for being a good shepherd leader. Not only in that sermon, thank you for how you do that as our senior pastor. We thank God for you. You are doing a wonderful job, my friend. Thank you. Peter's exhorting elders to be shepherd leaders who know, who feed, who tend to, who teach and protect those Christ, the chief chief shepherd has entrusted to their care. Okay, second heading, the elder's manner. Peter's exhortation includes not only the responsibilities, but the manner for which elders should fulfill those responsibilities. Look at verses two and three again. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. That's the responsibility. Here's the manner. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. You saw those three exhortations there that address how an elder fulfills his responsibilities and how an elder fulfills his responsibilities is actually as important as the responsibilities themselves because the manner with which we fulfill these responsibilities, they engender trust with the people entrusted to our care. That first manner Not under compulsion, but willingly. So a man should never feel compelled. A man should never feel forced into pastoral ministry. Rather, he should willingly, even eagerly and enthusiastically embrace the call to shepherd God's people. Now that that may seem odd in our day, especially in our culture here in the West where we have an independent mindset that Peter is saying, don't, don't compel a man, don't force a man into pastoral ministry. But keep in mind context. These churches were suffering. These churches were facing persecution. I rather doubt that pastoral ministry was on the top 10 career choices list at that time. I mean, who in their right mind would step into this role? And yet, if a man was eager, enthusiastic, to step into the fray and to care for God's people in the midst of persecution and suffering and to shepherd them in their fears and and their pressures, that would be a picture of a healthy pastor. Just a few weeks ago, we got an email from Michael. He was reporting that the city that he's in in Ukraine was being bombed. An entire apartment complex was destroyed A shoe factory and a school in that city were also bombed. And so the brothers in Germany, they reached out to Michael and they said, do you you want us to evacuate you? Do you want want to come to Hamburg? And he said, oh, oh no, brothers. No way, I'm staying right here. I'm staying here to care for the people that have remained in this city as members of my church, and I'm staying here to care for the refugees that God has brought brought my way. No way am I leaving right now. See, Michael, he was not obligated to stay. No one was forcing him to stay. Rather, he willingly and eagerly and joyfully stayed as the shepherd of that church. That is the picture of a healthy pastor. Now, let me speak to the young men who are here who wonder about being called into pastoral ministry. I'm carrying you on my heart. 
And you need to know that given the trends in our culture that are moving further away from God's word, pastoral ministry will be even more challenging in the days ahead. You will need to be men who have conviction and compassion and courage. Ministry, pastoral ministry, is not for the weak of heart. Never has been, and that'll be so true in the days days ahead. As Paul Tripp says so well, it is a dangerous calling. But I can tell you it is a most rewarding and fulfilling calling and vocation. So if you believe that God is calling you to potentially be in pastoral ministry, please speak to one of us as elders. In fact, I've, I've been praying even for today that many of you, some of you, or maybe even many of you would say, I, I want to give my life to that. So please talk with us. Second manner that Paul mentions here is not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And we know from the teaching of Christ in Matthew 10 and from the Paul, Pauline epistles that it is right for elders to be compensated by the church. At the same time, true elders are not to be lovers of money. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, which is one of the qualifications for eldership. And that qualification is actually contrasted in Scripture with false teachers who are greedy for money. You see that in the next letter, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. Therefore, it is shameful gain because greed is associated with false teachers who, like the false shepherds that God condemns in Ezekiel 34, they feed themselves and they don't feed the flock. See, in contrast, a true elder is eager to shepherd and lead God's people not to build personal wealth, but because he finds great joy and great satisfaction in serving the people entrusted to his care as a shepherd. Now, because you are a very generous church, we as elders, we want you to know how we remain accountable regarding our compensation. Our compensation, in part, is determined by national salary bans that provide objective data for what pastors are paid that lead churches of a similar size and church budget as our own. We also have a financial review committee here at Covenant Fellowship comprised of Jack Dempsey and Bill Doyle and Brad Hoopman and Gary Lendorf who review our salaries and make recommendations. And by the way, Jack and Bill and Brad and Gary, thank you for serving us as elders. Thank you for serving our church in that most important way. Yes, let's thank those men. Thank you. Thank you, guys. We take these steps because pastoral ministry is built on trust. And we want to do all we can to engender your trust and to keep your trust as pastors. Okay, third manner mentioned there, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That word domineering It means forcefully ruling over. It can have this hint of harshness to it. And that kind of leadership, that kind of pastoral leadership is contrasted with what Jesus actually taught Peter. What he taught Peter and the other disciples in Matthew 20 about the God-given authority they were given and how they were to use it. Matthew 20, beginning in verse 25. You know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and they're great ones exercise authority over them. 
it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, an elder is to never use his God-given authority in a domineering way that serves himself. Rather, he is to use his God-given authority to serve others because it reflects how Jesus uses his power and his authority. So the example that pastors are called to set is to use their authority in a way that serves the church And that kind of leadership, that manner of leadership will be influential in the church and hopefully it is also easy to follow. See, pastors are to be men who spend and are to be spent for those who are entrusted to their care, which is is just one of the reasons Peter reminds these elders of their eternal reward, which goes to the third heading, the elder's reward. You see that in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, don't you long for that day? And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So on that glorious day when Jesus returns, elders will receive an award. It's it's described as an unfading crown of glory. At that time in the first century, Greco-Roman world, actually crowns, most of them were made of leaves, and they were awarded to winning athletes or to soldiers after military victories or to distinguished citizens. They They were symbols of honor and of reward. And Paul is contrasting those crowns made of leaves, which certainly faded, with the unfading crown of glory that elders will one day receive from Jesus himself on that great day. So what motivates a pastor to spend and be spent for the sake of the people entrusted to his care? It must not be prestige. It must not be power. It must not be money. Rather, what motivates him is that day when the shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, stands before him and rewards him with the unfading crown of glory. What what is motivating Michael right now in the Ukraine as he faces difficult circumstances? Is it his circumstances? Well, he's in danger. Is it his prestige? He's serving in ways we will never know of 24-7 and meeting the needs of people. Is it money? He's using all the money he's being given to serve those that God has brought his way. Michael is motivated knowing that God has called him to shepherd and lead in this difficult moment regardless of the cost, anticipating that there will be a day when all of this destruction will end and the Savior will come and make all things new. And on that day, he will, he will lay an unfading crown of glory upon Michael's head. See, elders like that, elders like that, they garner trust from the people they lead, and as a result, people want to follow a pastor like that, which leads to our fourth heading, the church's response. Verse five, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves 
all of you with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So after writing about the responsibilities that elders have and the manner for which they fulfill them, Paul now transitions to speak to those in the church as it relates to responding to the leadership of its pastors. He speaks first to the younger, and he calls them to be subject to the elders. So it raises the question, why why is he speaking to the younger first? Well, if if you're around my age, think about what you were like when you were younger. At times around our house, when I get a bit self-righteous, Jill will say to me, Mark, do you remember what you were like when you were younger? And then I say, well, I wasn't like that. And she says, no, you weren't. You were actually much much worse. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Peter is writing this letter as an older man. And he most certainly was reflecting on his younger days when he was impetuous and impatient and independent at times. To those who are younger in this church, we thank God for you. We, we do. Yes, amen. As your pastors, we are grateful that you are actually patient with us when you aren't so sure about the decisions that we make. In fact, we as pastors, we're grateful for all of you being patient with us when you may not agree with all the decisions that we make. I think it's fairly safe to to assume that not all of you agreed with the decisions we made during the COVID pandemic, regardless of where you fall on the COVID opinion scale, which is a pretty broad scale, isn't it? But you are still here. And your pastors are still here. And by the grace of God, we are still together. And by the grace of God, I I believe we truly love one another as a church. And despite what we've been through for the last couple of years or so, we haven't lost our theological convictions. We haven't lost our gospel centrality. Maybe the biggest lesson that we've learned from the pandemic has nothing to do with the pandemic at all. Maybe the biggest lesson that we have learned from the pandemic is the importance of this exhortation here in verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. All of us, elders and members, are to clothe ourselves with the humility of Christ as we relate to one another. Now, context helps us understand this exhortation to be humble. The pressures of persecution that Bill pointed out last week and the suffering and trials these churches were facing, that only heightened the temptation that pastors would feel to be maybe domineering in their leadership and for members of the church to rebel against church leadership. So Peter's exhortation to the churches he was writing, it was a timely exhortation. And I believe, brothers and sisters, it is a timely exhortation for covenant fellowship as well. See, as our post-truth culture moves further and further away from God's word, we will feel the pressure to conform to the culture, maybe even to avoid marginalization or persecution. May, May we stand together 
and resist that pressure by being people who are humble toward one another, that we remain united in our attempt to stand upon God's word together. Amen. Let's do that. I heard a story just this past week about a bivocational elder in Germany. So he works as an elder and he has a full-time job. He preached a message, a faithful message, on biblical marriage and biblical sexuality. That sermon, like all churches today, was posted online. He went to church, or excuse me, he went to work that next week. He was called into his supervisor's office and his employer asked him to take that sermon down. To which this man humbly, and I emphasize the word humbly, humbly said, no, I'm not going to do that. Brothers and sisters, our, our manner of relating to one another in the church with humility will affect the manner that we humbly relate to those outside the church, especially when we must stand on God's word and face our own marginalization or potential persecution. So pray for us as pastors, that God would give us grace so that our pastoral leadership would be marked by humility as we protect you against false doctrine and as we lead you to continue the good work of gospel ministry regardless of the cultural pressures that we, we will definitely face. Pray for our church, asking God to give all of us grace now and in the days to come that we would be people who are humble, toward one another, that we would be marked by Christ-like humility as we relate to those outside of the church as we stand on God's word together. See, the text seems to give us two options. One, we can be proud and God will oppose us, or second, we can be humble and God will help us when the culture opposes us. It seems like we ought to choose the second option, wouldn't you agree? May our gospel culture here at Covenant Fellowship, may it be marked by Christ-like humility. All right, let me, let me conclude with this. History actually records that by the second century, these churches that Peter was writing to, by the second century, they were actually fruitful and flourishing. So, so could it be that these earliest elders and church members maybe took Peter's exhortation to heart, rising to the challenges of leading the church through difficult times with humility and strength and courage and grace that can only come from the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. I believe they must have. I believe they did. But here's the question for us today. What will history record about covenant fellowship in this 21st century. Here's what I believe, here's what I'm praying for. I believe that God will continue to give us grace as elders to spend and be spent for you by willingly and eagerly and joyfully shepherding you and feeding you and protecting you. And I believe that God will give all of us grace to grow in humility as we entrust our souls to a faithful creator as we continue to do the good work of gospel ministry regardless of what we face together. And may, may history record this in particular. May, may this be said about covenant fellowship. They did all that for the glory of the great shepherd, 
the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. May the Lord help. May the Lord help us. Amen.